Our scripture for today is from First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. We are continuing the sermon series that we kicked off a few weeks back as we work our way through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And today I want to begin my message with a simple question. What guides you? When I'm driving through an unfamiliar city, a GPS guides me. When I'm stumbling down the stairs at night in the dark, a nightlight guides me. When I'm trying to decide between what's right or wrong, hopefully my conscience guides me. And when I'm hiking in the mountains, my map and compass, they guide me. But what guides you? Big picture. What guides the overall direction of your life? What determines your, your feelings, your emotions, your beliefs, your actions, your, your values? What's your... What's your North Star, so to speak? You know, many things can guide us. Love, jealousy, hate, envy, greed, lust, anger, ambition, guilt, shame. And of course, the things that, that guide us determine the paths we take in life. And the paths we take in life determine who we become and who we are. For example... Jealousy and envy, if you let those be your guide, they will take you to a place of discontentment where we never have enough and we always want what somebody else has. Hate, hate is a horrible guide. It'll take us to a place where eventually our ability to love others will be lessened and um, it'll be squeezed out by hostility towards others where we get more joy out of the failures and pain of others than we do our own successes. Greed. Greed takes us to a place where we're constantly hungry, never, ever satisfied. Where instead of valuing people and using things, we reverse that. We value the accumulation of things and we use people. And anger is a horrible guide. It takes us to a place where bitterness eliminates joy and, and, and gratitude. And we begin to drive people away, especially those who are closest to us. Guilt. Guides us to a place where we're constantly weighed down by our failures and by regrets and we're unable to move forward. We never feel free. We never feel good about ourselves. Never, we don't like the way our life is going. And shame, shame might be the worst guide of them all because it takes us to a place where our self-worth is on life support and where we see ourselves as bad people incapable of, of changing 
hiding in the shadows and hoping no one really will see us for who we are. On the positive side, love can guide us. It can take us to a place of joy and happiness where we feel accepted and and valued and cherished. But it can also take us to a place of of heartbreak and sadness and, and sorrow. As Christians, we are to be guided by love. This book tells us that we are. Uh, Jesus said as much. Uh, he, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? How can I honor God and please God? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbors as yourself. So love is to guide us. But what guides us in the midst of darkness and sorrow and pain? What guides us when we're confused and we're wondering what God is doing? If he knows what he's doing and we're tempted to give up. The Apostle Paul tells us that hope, hope is to then guide us. As followers of Christ, he says, hope is to be our our guide, our, our north star that keeps us on the right path, no matter the circumstances of life. You see, if there is no hope, if there truly is no hope, then there really isn't any point. There's nothing to sustain us. But we have hope. Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians, um, to people who needed to be reminded about the reasons that they had for hope. Remember, they were a small church, basically a, a big life group, a group of maybe 15, at most 25 people. And they were trying to follow Jesus in a place where uh, their beliefs and values And priorities were running contrary to those around them. And so on the surface, they really they really had very few reasons to hope. I mean, they were barely hanging on. They were new to this Jesus stuff. They had lots of questions. And a couple of those questions were, what happens when we die? And is Christ going to come back? And when he does, what's that all about? In other words, They were wanting to know if what they were doing and what they were believing, what they were betting their lives on was actually going to be worth it in the end. Or were they simply naive fools following spiritual, religious mumbo jumbo? Well, Paul either got word of these questions or he anticipated them because he wrote them in this letter and he encourages them to remain strong, to not give up and to have hope. As followers of Christ, through in the scriptures, we, we have many reasons for hope, but I'm going to hit a few of them today and then move to the primary part of the message. So we have four main reasons that we can have hope. God is with us. Life has purpose. Death is not the end. And Christ will return. First, God is with us. God has told people since the beginning of the human race this, this idea that I am with you. He told Adam and Eve and and Abraham and Sarah, he told uh, Isaac and Jacob and, and David and Job and Psalm and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Deborah and Esther. He asked them to trust him and to follow him, to, to go with. And he said, I will go with you. I will be your God and I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the fact that God is with us is a reason for hope. Listen to what he says through the prophet Isaiah. Do not fear, for I have Redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. 
For I am the Lord your God. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. We have reasons to hope because life has a purpose. This is not a random accident. We are not an arbitrary experiment. God knows us. God created us. God loves us. God has a purpose for us. For I know the plans I have for you, he told Jeremiah. God will redeem our lives and he will finish what he started in us. God has a plan and a purpose to redeem all things and and we get to be a part of that redemptive plan. Paul wrote this, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Life has a purpose. That gives us hope. Death is not the end. We looked at this last week, how we mourn as those who have hope because of the resurrection of Christ and because of the hope of the resurrection for those of us who follow Jesus. This life is temporary, but it's simply a shadow. It's a precursor of the life to come, which will be incredible and amazing and beyond scale of what we experience now. And so for the follower of Christ, death is not the end. It's a transition and the beginning of life forever with God. But the reason for hope that Paul focuses on in our verses for today is the return of Christ. And he gives us four actions to take in light of this hope. First, Christ will return, so be alert. Verse four, but you are not in darkness so that this day will surprise you like a thief in the night. Robbie Robbins was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraqi war. Uh, and after 300 missions, he got the word from his, his commander suddenly that he and his crew could go home. So they flew through the night, landed in Massachusetts, and drove through the night to western Pennsylvania, where he was dropped off just at sunrise. And as his buddies dropped him off, there was a big banner across the garage. Welcome home, Dad. How did they know, he wondered. Nobody had called ahead. Nobody had expected to leave so quickly. And he relates, when I walked into the house, the kids were about half dressed for school and screamed, Daddy. And Susan came running down the hall and she looked fantastic. Hair fixed, makeup on, a yellow dress. How did you know, I asked. I didn't. Once we knew the war was over, we knew we'd be home one of these days. We knew you'd try to surprise us. So we set our minds to be ready every day. Now, we're going to be surprised about Christ's return because no one will be able to predict it precisely. But it shouldn't stun us. It shouldn't shock us. And it shouldn't get us completely off guard. We are to be ready each and every day. Second, Christ will return, so be awake. Verse 6, so then, let us be awake and sober. During his 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy would often close his his campaign speeches by telling a story uh, about a man named Colonel Davenport, who was the speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. On a day in 1789, when they were in session, some of the representatives looked out as the sky darkened ominously and they began to fear and wonder if the day of Christ's return had come. And they wanted to be adjourned so they could go home immediately. And Davenport rose and said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no need for adjournment. If it is, 
I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles would be brought. Rather than fearing what is to come about Christ's return, we are to be faithful till he does. And instead of fearing the dark, we are to be lights as we watch and as we wait. You know, throughout church history, there have been many examples of people who thought they knew when Christ would return. They would pick the year, they would pick the month, the day, even the time of day. And as the predicted day approached, they would sell their stuff, they would withdraw from the world, and they would just sit around waiting to be proved right. But they were all wrong. We have hope that Christ will return, but it shouldn't cause us to be passive. We are to be found following Christ in our everyday lives, using the time and the talent and the treasure we have, doing our duty, loving God and loving others. Third, Christ will return, so be armed. Put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Verse 8. Now, I remember watching a movie as a kid called Like a Thief in the Night. If you're of a certain age, you might remember it. It was a movie about Christ's second coming and how so many people were caught off guard and, and they were left behind. They missed out because they weren't ready. They, they hadn't trusted in Christ. They had put things off. They hadn't trusted And I remember that movie scared the bejeebers out of me. I mean, it affected me for quite a while. I'd come home and and people weren't in the house. I wondered, oh, my gosh, did I miss out, you know? Or or I remember thinking, what if Christ returns and I'm caught doing something wrong? Will I get left out? How will God respond to that? Paul must have anticipated those sorts of thoughts and questions because he tells us to put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. What is he talking about? Well, a breastplate, what does it do? It guards your chest, your vital organs, and especially your heart from attack. And our emotions, we often think, are, are guided by our heart. And we are to, to be people of, of faith and love. And by faith, we are saved. But the faith, we must remember that the faith that saves us is not our faithfulness. The faith that saves us is Christ's faithfulness. He lived a perfectly faithful life in our place. As our substitute, we place our faith in his faithfulness and not our own. And his love will never fail. And nothing will ever separate us from his love and the love he has for us. And so we are to arm ourselves to put on the armor of love and and, and faith to guide and guard our emotions as we think about the coming of Christ and judgment. And we are also to arm ourselves with The helmet of salvation. And what does a helmet do? It covers your head. It protects your brain, your mind, the source of your thoughts. And in this case, it is also to inform our thoughts. Listen to this quote by Frederick Buechner. The New Testament proclaims that at some unforeseeable time in the future, God will bring down the final curtain on history and there will come a day on which all of our days... And all the judgments upon us and all our judgments upon each other will themselves be judged. And the judge will be Christ. In other words, the one who judges us, the one who judges me most finally will be the one who loves me most fully. I find a lot of hope in that. You know, that God knows me. He knows my good, my bad, 
my virtues and my sins, and he, he loves me. I mean, we are, we are saved, and we are children of God, and we are purchased at great cost, and we are precious in his sight. Therefore, we should not be anxious or worry or insecure. Fourth, Christ will return, so be assured. Verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we shall live together with him forever. Whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are alive or dead when Christ returns, we have the hope of heaven. We shall live with him forever. In other words, Paul is telling the Thessalonians, regarding this whole thing of Christ's return, and whether you're alive, you're dead, how it's going to happen, and, and Judgment Day and all this, basically saying, don't freak out. Okay? Don't worry. Don't obsess about this. You don't know when. You can't know all the details, but know this. Christ will return, and you'll live with him forever. So focus on that. And don't miss the forest because of the trees. It might be helpful for us to, as we think about this, to kind of have a DVD mentality. Let me explain. You know, later today, I'm going to plop down on the couch with some of my favorite snacks and something cold to drink. And I'm going to cheer for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And if it's anything like last year, I'm probably going to be kind of anxious and nervous throughout the course of the game. Um, and if it gets really tight and the outcome is uncertain, I'll have different ways of coping. I might stand up. I might pace. I might change positions on the couch. I might cross or uncross my legs. I know it doesn't have any effect on the outcome of the game, um, but maybe I do it because I have no control over the way the game goes, but I do have control over my posture. I don't know. I might try to lower my expectations of winning so I'm not disappointed. Or I might tell myself, hey, it's Patrick Mahomes. He's going to come through. I'm sure the Bucks are saying the same thing about Tom Brady. Or what I'll probably do is I'll just eat more snacks. But one way I could avoid all this tension and anxiety would be to tape the game. I could tape the game. I could read a book or a movie, watch a movie or something else, go for a walk uh, during the game. I could come back and I could check the score online. And if the Chiefs are on the wrong side, well, I could decide, do I want to watch this or not? Maybe for the commercials, I don't know. And if the Chiefs win, well, I could watch the game totally relaxed because no matter how bad it might look at certain points of the game, I know how it's going to turn out. I would know that's going to end in victory. That's how we ought to think about what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through the tomb. We ought to have a DVD mentality because no matter how bad things look for us, no matter how bad things look for the cause of Christ, no matter how bad things look in the world, we don't have to worry because we know the end of the story. So let's begin to wrap this up. As followers of Christ, the bottom line is this. We have hope because we are saved by faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have hope because he lived among us a perfect life. He showed us what God is like. He showed us what God values and how to live our lives. We don't have to wonder about that. And he did it in our place. And we have hope because Christ died for us and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He paid for our sins and he made it possible for us to be forgiven once and for all. 
And we have hope because Jesus didn't stay dead. He died for us, yes, but he also rose from the dead for us so that we one day also will be risen from the dead. Because death is not the end and there's more to come. So we have many reasons to have hope. Let's move to our takeaways. How has someone encouraged you with the hope of Christ? Think of a time or a situation when you were discouraged. How has someone encouraged you by pointing you to the hope that we have in Christ? The word encourage literally means to, to step into courage. To help somebody step into a place of confidence, of assurance, that they're not alone, that everything's going to be okay, that it's going to work out all right, that they are loved, that they have hope. How has somebody done that for you? And then I want you to pass it along. I want you to look for opportunities to do that for somebody this week. To encourage them with the hope you have in Christ. To point them to hope. To point them to the God who's always with us. To remind them that God has a purpose for this life, for this world, and for them. To tell them the end of the story, that Christ will return and we will be with him forever. Point them to hope. That hope will be what guides them. Just as hope will guide us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for his, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We thank you for the fact that you are constantly with us, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you have a plan and a purpose for us, Lord. So that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter the circumstances now or in the future, help us to keep our eyes focused on you and to let hope be our guide. That hope would shape our actions, our thoughts, our words, our values, our posture. In Jesus' name, amen.